Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Tiffany is away this week, but I am joined by Rosanna Staffa. She's an Italian-born playwright and author, and her debut novel, The War Ends at Four, is out now. And she's joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota in the United States. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's wonderful. So many themes in your book are the themes that this show talks about all the time, and I cannot wait to delve into it with you. Um, but I thought to like give us a snapshot of your background. Maybe you could start by telling us your own expat journey, where you began and how you came to be living abroad in Minneapolis. Well, you might have started very early in life uh, because I moved around a lot as a child. It may be a good listener, which is a nice quality for a writer. Mm -hmm. And also, I saw everyday life as more dangerous and also more wondrous than most people. So I learned to be adventurous, you know. Behind every stranger, there is a friend. You have to speak their dialect if you're in Italy. Mm -hmm. So I moved uh, to New York but I didn't intend to move. I call myself an accidental immigrant because I went to New York with a dear friend from Milan who was a journalist. And I said, yeah, let's go write articles about the women movements in New York. So I said, I'm tailing. Of course, what happened is that I met uh, who is now my husband. Mm. And so I stay a little longer and a little longer and a little longer, and here I am. <laughs> so how long has it been now? More than 30 years. Wow, okay. But I get scared. If I see it, I get scared. <laughs> In reality, if it's like, oh, God, yesterday, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and of those 30 years, has it mostly been in Minnesota or... Oh, no, no. We were in, because of my husband working theater, we were in New York, then uh, Los Angeles, then Hawaii, and then Minnesota. So it's very, very animated journey. <laughs> if you want any any advice on packing, you can refer to me. If I ever want to write a how-to book, it would be about packing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could also write a pretty wide-ranging book about what it's like to live in different regions of the United States, because those are very different places, the places yeah. that you've uh, lived. For certain. But it's interesting because, you know, in reading your book and also reading about your own past, I mean, your range of where you live in Italy is also very wide before yeah. you ever come abroad. So where... You were, what, from all the way to the south, all the way to the north? Yes. (laughs) Rumor has it we have gypsy blood, and I do believe it. But uh, no. It was, again, you know, work, men, my father. And uh, I was born in Naples. My family is of Swedish origins, so I'm actually the only brunette. (laughs) Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, short brunette. Everybody else is tall and blonde and blue-eyed. But, you know, the DNA deco card is very thick. So uh, we moved to Este, this very charming, gorgeous little small town in the hills uh, near Padua, near Venice. 
but it was completely different. I had to learn a different language and people had family, you know, connections and we didn't. So we were a little isolated and there are extraordinary things about every place, whether it's in the same country or not. You know, for me as a child, uh, going to visit a relative meant suitcases and a train and I was gone for weeks. So when my best friend Laura told me that she couldn't play that afternoon because she was going to visit her, her aunt, I burst in tears. I imagined this long separation. I went upstairs and I couldn't be taken away from my room and my sorrow. And then around dinner time, I saw Laura walking by and I said, Laura, what? And she said, I just went to visit my aunt. She was like, you know, three blocks away. But that was extraordinary to me. I've never forgotten it. Hmm. How incredibly different everybody's reality is. I mean, that impression as a child is very profound because you always think the world is just like you, you know? Of course, because it's all you see. It's all you know. It's, you know, yeah. you have a beautiful little story on your website where you talk, tell a little bit about yourself, about your father telling you not to go see the Roma camp. <laughs> Do you mind telling that story? Yes. Uh, mm, there were gypsies, you know, caravans coming in the outskirts of town, and we had a canal running around, you know, along. And my father told me, don't go. You know, don't go watch what they do with the gypsies. They do math all day. They're very severe with their children and all that. And you don't want to be kidnapped. There was this thing that the gypsies would somehow want to saddle themselves with these sorry songs that we were, these kids. <laughs> and then, you know, why would they want me? And, uh, and I went and watched the gypsy children. They were playing along the canal. They were naked, jumping in and out of the water. They met So I learned that there is always another story, especially under prohibitions, you know. Mm. I, it made me a little bit disruptive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they say no, go check why. <laughs> Yeah, and and the value of like finding out that there's always another story to what people are telling you is such oh, a valuable yeah. thing to learn as such a young person. Oh yeah, I learned to be a little touch diffident and uh, confident in exploring. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah, that's part of the you know of the mix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I so I want to touch on some of the themes there's several themes that run through the course of your story that you tell in your novel uh and one of those is a question of belonging mm -hmm. in fact very early on you write this line you write expats are always somewhere else and someone else so i sort of wondered what has belonging meant to you in the various stages of moving all around and why was it something that is so central to the book that you wrote because it's not really, for me, it's, life is not about clear-cut nostalgia, like I want to go back to Milan. 
did write the novel because I wanted to get back to Milan, to be honest. Not the Milan of now, the Milan I knew, the smells, the memories, the cafes that are now changed. But nostalgia uh, for me is generated when you feel unbalanced. And the desire is not really to go back. You know, I can go back in my memory, see the smells, the taste, touch. But it's more that figuring out where you belong. And sometimes you belong in very tiny and uncomfortable nests, but that's your nest. Mm. You know, Renata in my novel figures out, I don't want to give it away, but figures out the nest. Mm -hmm. That doesn't come to mind instantly as, oh, what a wonderful nest. But it becomes a nest. It's what you find as where you belong for me. Each time I had to find where I belong. Did you find a place where you belonged in each location that you lived in? Mostly it was books and writing, to be honest. <laughs> but I did. You know, maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a little cafe. One time it was a stray cat who would wait for me every afternoon. And when I think about that stray cat, I didn't feed this cat. <laughs> but, you know, every afternoon, this cat would wait for me coming home from school. Hmm. And it was a little nest for me. You cannot ask a cat, why are you waiting for me? You know, but it was there. There was an understanding. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. I mean, you also have a, a part where your character, your main character, she goes back in your story to Milan because her father is dying. And yeah. she meets up with a childhood friend at an old bar that they used to go to before she moved to America. And and you do talk about that real desire. If you are going to go back, you want to find the place as you left it. You want that bar to look the same way. I mean, exactly. has that been mm -hmm. true for you? Yes. And of course, nothing is the same. So you kind of go, oh, you know, you know, it's a very um, disheartening feeling. It makes you experience, well, I say it in a novel, it kind of makes you experience your own death. Mm. Things keep going and, you know, not nobody, but nothing cares. The things move and transform. But being an acupuncturist, I should know better. And, and my character does know that, there is a continuous growing and going in these lines in our body that seek harmony, mm. even in the strangest times. Since you brought it up that you are an acupuncturist. How I was. was you was. was. <laughs> well, how does that inform your thinking, like no, knowing the human body from that lens, not just... It's fantastic. It was the most extraordinary experience of my life. Uh, just like the protagonist in my novel, I chanced upon acupuncture the first time in a book. And I went, I never heard of this. And, the, and then I went on studying and studying and I became an acupuncturist. And the idea that there is this web of energy under our skin that is seeking harmonies, is in continuous quest for harmony was for me the most reassuring and wonderful thing I could ever think of. And you know, it doesn't require our participation. I mean, it does. If you're a doctor, I was just directing traffic, really. But it was the energy itself of the patient 
they went, oh, okay, this way, oh, that way. Mm. It's magnificent. Mm. And also it makes you listen. Once again, I learn what what helps a writer to, to ask questions and not rush to conclusions. If there is anything I could ever say as a writer, don't rush to conclusion because you're uncomfortable with the suspended moment of questioning and not knowing. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Yeah, and I see that in the character that you created, who is very much questioning herself and life throughout this whole novel. What about the role of longing, both in your own life and in the writing about this expat who moved to America? It will always be there. But for me, there is also a web of what ifs and questioning if you don't follow your impulses. There are questions if you stay, if you go. There is always a sense of longing and desire that there is something somewhere else. Hmm. Whether you left or maybe because you didn't leave, then there is always this little ghost of another story. Hmm. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So another one of your themes, I think, is um, how when you move abroad, there could be tension between the two places, the place where you're from and the place where you move. And and one of the things your character says when she is back visiting Italy from the United States, she says that Milan seemed both too close and very far. And so I was just curious about your own experience with that and why that was a question that is kind of entertained again and again in this novel. Because, because I always wanted the sense of I'm done, you know, and you're never done. There is always uh, in my life, it was like I had interrupted the conversation, Hmm. you know, especially with my language, with my past. And there is is something uh, about looking back that after a while grows a bit stale, (laughs) you know. And at the same time, you don't want to betray your past so there are these conflictual emotions where you know you don't want to be it's my whole story my all emotions um, my family uh, there is a continuity there that I don't want to betray but I want to also embrace my new reality in full so there is this divided self I think it's not only when you move from a country to the next sometimes people move for work Mm-hmm. In a diff- I mean, America is very different, you know, if you live in this place or that place, I've certainly experienced that. And uh, there is this sense of disconnect and wanting to belong. And then you say, but if I embrace it too much, I'm saying no to my family, to my dear friends and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is another big question in the book is the tension that can happen between family members between the person who left and the people who stay and and how that can actually change the relationship that you have with one another i mean there's so many different questions in there but uh, what did what would you say that distance did with your relationships from italy my relationships um it made them a little more complicated 
because I didn't want to be the American sister. Mm. I wanted to be me. Uh. And um, in fact, you know, to be honest, I have absolutely no American accent. I speak Italian. People recognize the Venetian accent in my voice or the Milanese accent. And I I feel like, uh, why can't we just pick up where we left off? But we cannot. Hmm. And that is the most uh, disturbing because I did leave, you know, and the person who left behind also had to make adjustments, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we never really dug deep. What is the adjustment? That was my family, <laughs> uh, but as you might have been, had an intuition. <laughs> we never really said what's happening. It's so confusing because I am the same and I'm not the same at the same time, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as your as your character puts it in one point, uh, she did not want America to come between them, which is yeah. <laughs> but it did. It always did. You know, I was like this person who chose to live in this crazy country. Of course, Italy is as crazy as America, but you know. Well, what you know. It, what was the uh, the view of your family toward uh, America when you moved there? Well, they thought it was dangerous. Because, of course, their perception of America, aside from when a brother came to visit and then had a little love story with America, that it's so dangerous because that's what you see in the news, in the papers. Um, You know, when I read the news, I I read the news from Milan once to my husband. I said, see, this is the news. Everybody was crying and I felt very moved too by this little pensioner who was walking his dog, there was an accident. And I'm going, oh, you know, in the first page of the paper, you know. And I'm going, it's so moving, you know, this little guy walking his dog. And my husband went, what? And at the same time, (laughs) it's so wonderful, you know, everybody's story. America is so fragmented. In Italy, we presume, wrongly, that your story is everybody's story just by being, you know, Italian a little bit, you mm. know, mm-hmm. and it's not right. I was always a little the odd one out, even in Italy. But the perception are so strange, you know, if you don't mind me say, once I took my brother to a little deli, Italian deli, and he said, but who was that guy that was... Um, cutting the salami and talking to us. The guy with the big, you know, gold medal around his neck. So that's the guy everybody thinks I, I would take to them when I say my brother will come over. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, what? You know? Well, what about since you live in the United States, you must hear all the time from Americans about what they think about Italy, too. I mean... The U.S. is a little bit obsessed with Italy, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, how does it go in the other direction <laughs> from your point of view? Well, I feel I'm disappointing people because, like, I, I don't cook. I don't like to cook. You know, my mother died early in my life. My grandmother was a terror. So I don't have this the, the people in my life that American imagine. And... I have to be honest, every time I feel I'm disappointing them. 
Mm. I, I don't feel good. I feel bad. I say, and why don't I? People ask, you know, how would what would you put in chicken? And I go, hmm, rosemary. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel bad, you know, that I don't respond to the expectations. And uh, I also think that there is something ritualistic in Italian life that I don't, that I was restless with. Mm. That with, with for me, it was a bit of a straitjacket, you know, lunch at this time. I know when the Pope eats lunch, dinner, everybody, you know. And for me, I like the flexibility of America, even in these things. I don't know. I like I like it not not so sad, but I feel that when Americans go to Italy, they long for that order and harmony. Yeah. And for me, I do love it, but it makes me restless. Hmm. It's like it did. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, it does feel like that Americans go to Italy looking for like art and history and sort of this imagined yeah exactly what you're talking about rituals being out at night eating with people over long meals and that sort of thing the things that we often don't give ourselves time for here I mean did you find um that speaking of that tension that straitjacket that in moving to the United States almost accidentally moving to the United States that you it brought out parts of you that you don't think you would have discovered if you hadn't absolutely like what comes to mind well, there was a great joy in being just me, you know, not having maybe my uncle or auntie or whatever, what they think, mm. you know, it was me, Yeah, whatever that means. And uh, I found it very, I still find it very exciting, mm. you know, also lonely. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I long for that person who had family, you know, mm-hmm. dinners and all that, you know, but mm. it's not so deep for me. I really wanted freedom. I wanted to explore. I wanted to do things. Hmm. And did, what about your friend that you came to New York with? Did she stay also or? No, she went back. Okay. But I, I fell in love and stayed a little longer and a little longer and a little longer and a little longer. And now for for life, do you see yourself ever moving back to Italy or no? It's strange. I would love to go visit, but at this point, you know, everything has changed. I would love to go for an extended period of time. Moving back is not something I long for. I would like to go long for longer. Yeah, and savor it. I you know? one of the thing I like how you. Um, you wrote some in your book about in a place, the place that you once were, and you write the line that it's as if, basically as if you and the place share a subconscious life together. I thought that was yeah. such a beautiful way of putting it, and is there any way you want to expand on that idea? There's a truth to that, because there is someone, when I go back to Milan, who walks like I walked as a Milanese. Someone like she who talks like I talked. And uh, there is nothing in between. I'm Italian, I'm in Milan. I don't have to explain myself. I'm there, 
exactly the way I am. Hmm. And uh, that's, that's what I mean by that. And of course, though, for me, I have to say that there is a little freedom in living in America and speaking English because I don't have what I call the emotional traps of hearing a word that my mother would say, hmm. my father would say. When I went to Rome, I saw these men walking down the street like my father with the borsalino and the cane and the elegant coat exactly at the time he would take a walk. And for me, it, it upset me. It, it made me feel a great longing and the loss all over again. Mm. So I, in a way, I'm protected, <laughs> you know, yeah. by living yeah, it's in like, America. Yeah, you've almost escaped some of those reminders. That's interesting to to think about, like escaping the reminders even through language that you don't have Absolutely. to hear. Absolutely. I mean, especially uh, in you know in the United States, you're really not going to hear a lot of people speaking Italian unless you seek them out. You know, it's not one of the top languages that people learn here. So no, and they will not say things the way my mother would say him or my father would say him or you know any longing it's a little distillated mm -hmm. i'm a little in control right <laughs> can you give us an example of something that your mother or your father would say well i mean my mother would say here you are um, sempre ti distrai tutto il giorno e poi la sera si consuma l'olio della she was just saying, you are distracting yourself during the day instead of studying. And then the night, the lamp, I mean, the oil lamp, of course, there was no oil lamp, but it was a saying she heard as a child, will be consumed. Mm. I mean, things like that. Mm -hmm. the, the, my mother, when exasperated, never insulted us as kids, never. But she called us assassins, assassini. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was magnificent. It was so exaggerated that we knew we were not assassins. But I, I actually use it often. Assassino. You know, <laughs> because he's so big. Everybody is not offended, you know. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. So when you left, did you were you uh did you know anybody else at the time who had decided to move abroad somewhere else? No something we debate is like is it an idea that needs to come from somewhere that you somehow know it's possible but not so in your case no it's not hmm. i just tried it a little at a time and then i discovered wonderful things like a tv dinner i never seen such a marvel i went back to my friend and i said guess what i saw and she said what i said there was this dinner totally prepared. It had bees in that peas. She said, that's a heavy dinner. And I said, <laughs> but it was magnificent. <laughs> is, is there anything about uh, the United States that still strikes you as odd, even after living here for 30 years, after growing up in Italy? Yeah, kids snack at all times. Hmm. And people eat walking. <laughs> that's true. What? I mean, sit down, you know, I, it's still odd to me. I don't mean to be critical, you know, Americans are my joy and love, but 
why don't you sit down and eat? Always snacking and doing it. What's with hunger? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and how about, is there anything from your growing up in Italy that you still carry on 30 years later living here? Well, I think there is a little joy in savoring boredom. Hmm. As a child, I learned to be bored. Tell, tell me more I, about that. How do you savor boredom? Oh, um, I stayed with it and stayed with it. And then I noticed something. And I wasn't bored anymore. Hmm. And boredom made me a writer because nothing happened. So one night I started writing in my journal. And there was power in writing. Suddenly, things had happened during the day. Mm. Seeing the cat, you know, this and that, waiting for me, happened with some force once I wrote about it. Yeah. But I think boredom, uh, I, I know, I don't mean to say be bored. But yeah, be bored sometimes. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and in some ways, you're also saying don't, just distract yourself. Is that what no, it also means? No. Everything will distract you. You don't need to fear. <laughs> <laughs> well, one other thought that I like that you wrote about toward, I believe, toward the end of the book, although I didn't write down where your character says this, but says that there is a bravery and a foolishness not knowing what's ahead. And I love the calm, the juxtaposition there, the bravery and the foolishness of not knowing. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you about that thought. Well, it means that you're driven by desire. If you do something that you're not sure you should be doing or could be doing, it means that there is desire there. And desire, it's powerful and leads you to wonderful places. Terrible places or wonderful places. I mean, I, when I started writing in Los Angeles, my English was really, you know, childish. Things were good or bad. You know what I mean, a horror. And uh, I was driving very badly because I never drove. I, was, I, I lived in Milan and New York. So one time, this writer I admired said that she was teaching a class. And I said, yes, immediately. Mm. And that made me see that I really, really, really desire to write. Mm. That's lovely. The Byron says, you know, it's love that makes you go where werewolves wouldn't dare. <laughs> 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 Suddenly I'm driving up Topanga Canyon in the night. You know, I mean, insane. <laughs> I love that. Well, the book is called The War Ends at Four. Uh, Rosanna Staffa, thanks for joining us on the show today. It was so fun to meet you. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure talking to you. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. Before Talk you next go, week. I have two Bye. copies of The War Ends at Four, Rosanna Staffa's book, to give away. And I can't wait to send it to two of you. I'm not sure exactly what the giveaway should be. But since this show is listener-supported, I thought that maybe I would give it to the first two people who send in a donation. 
You can send it in for as little or as much as you want. I'd appreciate enough to cover the shipping, but even that isn't necessary. Just visit our website, thebittersweetlife.net, click on support, and support us through either Patreon or PayPal. And I will send you this book for free, or sort of for free, a book bonus for supporting the show. We can't do it without you. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Bye. (music) 